Uh, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, I mean that sincerely. Uh, it's, it's the Sunday before Thanksgiving, which means a couple things. One, some of you are uh, walking in perpetual anxiety <laughs> about people you're going to come in contact with uh, this next week, maybe, at a family dinner. Uh, some of you may be like sad and brokenhearted because people that you would normally spend time with aren't going to be there um, just because of all the turmoil and the divisiveness we're experiencing as a culture. I have several people this morning like, wish I could see so-and-so for Thanksgiving, but they're not going to be there because of all the division that has just cut through our, our families, through our culture, and we talked about that this last Wednesday. Uh, but the other thing that that means is that um, just like a lot of other holidays, we, we tend to blow through them without stopping to actually think about what the holiday really means and what it's for. Um, Thanksgiving is a time to be thankful. Um, specifically, the idea of Thanksgiving is to thank God for all of his provisions, all of his good things that he's, he's given to you and that he's blessed you, all the ways that he's provided for you. Um, and so if you haven't stopped to do that, at least the word like thankfulness is running in the background somewhere, hopefully. Like you've heard it, you're hearing me say it, and you know you need to be thankful. And so my hope for you this week is that you would take time just to stop and to take some inventory on God's goodness in your life, God's goodness to your family, um, and that you would give him the glory for that. Like that's really important that we not blow through Thanksgiving without stopping to be, to be thankful. Um, I'm super thankful for you. Oftentimes we talk about how our time in here is really just a, a, a moment of, of respite or rest from the world out there that once we step beyond these doors, it's a chance for us uh, just to let, it, just let a sigh out. <sighs> Maybe even put our phones on airplane mode and just zone in and focus in on who Jesus is and what he has for you and, and how he wants to meet you where you are. And, um, and, and being a pastor, like, I'm not immune to that. Like, the world is hard for me and for you, right? And so when I say that I'm, like, glad to see you, I just want you to know, like, you are created in the image of God. That makes you a sacred being. And it, like, it, it's more than just makes me happy. Like, it means something that you're here today. And it should mean something to you that others are here today as we've gathered together um, as image bearers to, to worship the, the creator who created us, um, that there's some sense of like rejoicing and hope and, and rest in being together. So I'm just honored to have you here today. If you're visiting with us and I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you before you leave and kind of hear what, how God led you to Solid Rock. But either way, welcome. Uh, we want God to speak to us today, to meet with us, regardless of where we come from and why, we're, why we think that we're here. God is here to speak to you and meet with you. And so we've, um, we're in the Gospel of John chapter 21. We've made it now. You've, uh, if you've been here with us the whole series, Daniel read the last remaining words in the Gospel of John, and we've read the whole Gospel together. And it's taken us the better part of two years to get here, to get to this place. And the way that the Gospel of John ends is just really interesting to me. Um, we've talked before about how it seems like he was done with chapter 20 and then came back and added chapter 21. We don't know if that was a month later or a year later or sometime down the road, but something, um, we're not something, the Holy Spirit of God at some point uh, prompted John to go back and add to this last chapter. And we'll even see at the end, it looks like there was some collaboration even with this last chapter by the way that John talks about it. Um, but the scene where we are today is the same scene that we've been in now for three weeks. It started with um, seven of the disciples going to Galilee 
and they went out fishing uh, with no success, and at daybreak, they encountered Jesus on the shore. He invites them to the shore to sit down and have breakfast. This is his third resurrection appearance to the disciples. Uh, In this meal, um, at the end, he begins to walk down the beach with Peter and have a private conversation where he restores Peter. He not only forgives him for denying him three times, but restores him to his calling as a disciple. So where we are today, um, that conversation is still happening. Peter and Jesus are walking down the beach and Peter looks back and sees John and then that's where he asks that question, what about that one? And so we're gonna pick this up now uh, in verse 18 together. In verse 18, um, Jesus has just told Peter, follow me, that I'm restoring you to full disciple. And then in verse 18, he says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then we have some commentary. This may be where the collaboration was taking place. Somebody might have said, John, explain that. So John says in verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So a couple of things in this conversation, this part of the conversation. Um, First of all, Jesus is telling Peter, hey, Peter, if you follow me, um, this is going to lead you to places you don't want to go. And he uses this kind of familiar illustration of like, hey, remember when you were a young man, there's this idea that you can just kind of take care of yourself, you can dress yourself, you can handle yourself, but everybody knows somebody who's gotten older to the point where they couldn't take care of themselves anymore. And so what Jesus is saying to Peter is like, hey, Peter, this is gonna be part of your story, part of your journey. You're gonna get to a place in life where you're no longer taking care of yourself. And here's the thing, Peter, those who are taking care of you are gonna lead you somewhere you don't want to go. Peter, hardship awaits you. If you follow me, this will lead to somewhere incredibly difficult. And the only thing I'm gonna tell you is that essentially your life and your story is gonna be in the hands of someone who is gonna take you where you don't want to go. And then the extra commentary tells us that this is a description of the death that Peter is going to face. And then he says what? Once again, follow me. Your calling is restored. This is really important, okay? This idea that I'm facing hardships in life must mean that God is mad at me or God has forsaken me. God is nowhere near. Well, we think that way, don't we? We face something hard. What did I do wrong? Where did this go wrong? And Jesus is telling Peter on the onset, Peter, there's going to be hard things that, that, that await you if you follow me. Matter of fact, the way you die is gonna be out of your hands. It's gonna be in the hands of someone who's gonna take you somewhere you don't wanna go. Peter, follow me there. Now, what's gonna happen next is Peter's gonna look over his shoulder. He's gonna see John, verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how John refers to himself in his own gospel following them. So at some point from breakfast, Peter and Jesus step up. Jesus is like, Peter, come with me. Let's talk. And so they begin walking down the beach, talking, and this is where they're having that conversation. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And at this point in the conversation, Peter looks back and he sees that John has gotten up from breakfast and he's now 
following them. Peter turned, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at the table, at, at table close to him, Jesus, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So that's a reference back to the upper room. John just remembered a detail. He's writing it down. He remembered when Jesus said in the upper room, hey, one of you is gonna betray me. John leaned in and was like, which one of us is it? More importantly, this is where we go. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about him? Now, I can, I can understand where Peter's at. Peter just got told, you're fully restored as a disciple, now follow me. And by the way, Peter, following me means you're gonna face really hard things in life. You're gonna be led to places you don't want to go. Now, follow me. So Peter's still trying to swallow this. Okay, I'm following you. What about him? Is he gonna face hard stuff too? Like, I can understand that. And so Jesus responds. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. It's the third time he said to Peter, follow me. And it's Peter, I understand where you're coming from. You're worried about his life and where his life is gonna, is he gonna be led to places he doesn't wanna go? Peter, here's the deal. Your story is between you and me. His story is between him and me. Two disciples, two different journeys, one author. Now, what's gonna be helpful for us to understand is we're wrapping up the Gospel of John as John puts the finishing touches on the gospel and we read the last word of the last line of the last chapter and we close it, the very first word of the next line of the next chapter is about us. Like, this is why I think that those who put the Bible together in this specific order put the book of Acts next. Because what's gonna happen in the book of Acts, the first eight chapters, we're gonna see how God uses Peter and John. For a while, their paths are together before they eventually separate. So we're about to get to the part in the story that's about us. This idea that Peter and John took, if you will, the torch of the gospel from Jesus and carried it forward. And they began to hand pieces of the torch of the gospel to those that they led to Christ, right? Those they led into salvation, those that they led to be disciples and followers of Jesus. Here's a piece of the torch, take it forward. And the torch of the gospel has been taken forward, right? Person to person, hasn't skipped a generation, person to person, generation to generation, era to era, continent to continent, nation to nation, city to city, church to church, and here we are, person to person again. That torch that Jesus is handing Peter was carried forward. He's gonna hand the same torch to John, but what he's telling Peter is like, Peter, I'm the author of your story. Don't worry about him. And so he says, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Verse 23 says, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple, John, was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is this to you? So there's some more commentary there, kind of explaining. So evidently a rumor spread after this moment. Now keep in mind, only John and Peter are here to hear it. So somehow, and they're saying, what did Jesus say to you? 
They repeated what Jesus said. Somehow a rumor started, you mean John isn't gonna have to die? So John gets to live to see Jesus return. And so John here at the end adds this chapter. He's like, oh, one more detail, guys. That's not what Jesus said. What he was saying was, it's my business how John dies, not Peter's. Now I wanna stop for just a minute and think about these two journeys that Peter and John both faced. So into the book of Acts, first eight chapters or so, you've got Peter and John. Peter's the lead, John's there with him. Especially the first like four chapters, um, it's Peter and John. They get arrested like twice. Um, they have to face the Sanhedrin that, that uh, Jesus had to face. Matter of fact, they go back to the house of uh, Annas and Caiaphas. That's the same place Jesus was on trial and they themselves have to give an account. And so they're working together for a while, but somewhere along the way, their ministries split and separate. Um, we know from church history that more than likely Peter dies around 64 AD under the reign of Nero. He was a, a vicious emperor who was vicious against Christians and um, every year on the anniversary of him coming into reign, like he would do something to create bloodshed across, across the, entire, like, the entire nation really, but especially in the Colosseum, like that was the place of it all. And, uh, and so then at one point, somewhere around 63, 64, he actually starts, rumors are that he started a fire in Rome and then blamed it on the Christians to kind of set the stage for just killing a whole swath of Christians. It's probably about three months after that fire is when Peter actually is arrested and put to death. And so you see everything that Jesus said coming true is his life is put into the hands of the emperor and they, he's sentenced to die crucifixion. Um, most church historians would, would agree with some documentation that says that Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Christ. Somewhere more than likely around the early, that's 63, 64 AD. Well, if you know the story of John, it's quite different. John actually, at some point, under the reign of a different uh, emperor, is brought into the Colosseum, and they, they go to torture him uh, through um, putting him into a vat of boiling oil. And not only does he live, but he escapes without harm. And, uh, and so the kind of the church historians would say, yeah, and several, a lot of people in the Colosseum, almost the whole Colosseum, believed in Jesus because of that, that miracle. And so that's what led to him being exiled on the island of Patmos, which is where um, he was isolated and alone. And, and this is where God came to him and revealed to him what was written down as the book of Revelation. So you got Peter who writes 1 Peter, 2 Peter. You've got John who writes not only the gospel, but 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then the Revelation, the book of Revelation. Um, more than likely, um, he finds his way back to the mainland somewhere before he dies, and he dies in Ephesus around 98 AD. Two different journeys, right? Both of them following Jesus, both of them putting their lives in the hands of Jesus, two different stories, one author. Now I'm saying all that because what, as we get ready to read these next two verses, the details are interesting. And I just wanna walk through them with you because I think it begins to set the stage for our stories, understanding what it means for you and I to follow Jesus. So verse 24 says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. So remember, John just got through writing about himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who leaned back against the table, the one who Peter turned around and saw. He's saying, this is me. This is the disciple who is testifying or bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, this gospel. And then he says, and we know that his testimony is true. That's where it begins to sound kind of like a collaboration at the end. 
It's like all, several maybe disciples are there with John saying, yeah, we'll put our name on this. Yep, we'll put our name on this. We know everything John has written is in fact true. Verse 25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now specifically, what I think John and maybe whoever's with him are talking about is this, that within the three-year span of ministry from when they first were called to this moment, Jesus did and said a lot of things. So many things that they probably couldn't remember everything that happened. I'm sure they sat around and were like, hey, remember the time when Jesus did this? You're like, oh yeah, somebody's gotta write that down. Oh, you remember the time Jesus said, what did he say? I think he said something, no, 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 I'll tell you what he said. And they're, they're just remembering all these details about the, the ministry of Jesus. And so John is saying like, hey, there's a whole lot more that we could have written down and were we to try to write every one of them down, there's not enough books in the world to contain all those stories because each one is a small story and a piece of the bigger story. But I also think that there's a sense that, you know what, the story actually isn't done. Like part of what's being expressed here maybe even is forward leaning going, hey, Jesus isn't done writing stories. Right, so we couldn't write down all the stories that have been done, right, but all the books in the world couldn't contain what needs to be written. Now that's not super clear from this text, but as soon as we get to the book of Acts, we're gonna see the story goes on. And the story begins to become more and more about you and I and about the church and about how we operate as the church and what it means to be a Christ follower, one of his disciples uh, to which Jesus has invited, come follow me. And so this is where I really wanna focus our time as we wrap up the Gospel of John today. Now, here's something that I want us to understand. Life is going to be hard whether you follow Jesus or not. It is. Following Jesus doesn't get you out of that. In some ways, following Jesus might make some of that harder. In some ways, following Jesus might make some of that a little bit more doable. But the hard stuff that stands in your path that is to come is, is, is coming at you either way. Well, why? Because you live in a broken, fallen world. Because sin and death for the moment, now reign in our world. Like nobody can escape sin in their own strength. Nobody can escape death. So the Bible says sin and death are reigning right now. This is the age of death, okay? So you're going to face hard things as a, as a little child, as a grown adult, you know, as a senior. Hard things are coming your way. So in a similar way, Jesus is very honest with Peter, like, Peter, things are gonna happen that are out of your control. Following me means that you're gonna go places you don't want to go. So it's important that we start the conversation here as we understand what does it mean to follow Jesus? When he extends the invitation to you to be one of his disciples, he says, come, follow me, what does that mean? It means hardship is coming. Uh, I, I grabbed a quote from John Piper. A friend shared this with me over the phone this week and I just couldn't get the words out of my mind. And, and so I'm gonna read it to you. This is a, a quote from a devotion that John Piper wrote um, on suffering. It's a real short devotion. Here's what he says about 
being a Christ follower and then also facing hardship and suffering, he says, I've never heard anyone say the really deep lessons of life have come through times of ease and comfort. But I have heard strong saints say, every significant advance I have ever made in grasping the depths of God's love and growing deep with him has come through suffering. He's not saying it doesn't happen. He's saying, I've never heard anybody say to me, hey, John, can I tell you about something deep and profound God did in my life through a season of ease and comfort? But I have heard really strong, mature saints say every significant moment of growth happened in a really, really hard moment or hard season. And I'm watching saints all around the room looking at me going, "Mm, that's right. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans. James talks about it in James 1. So strange. James, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind. Man, turn the page. And then we get to the book of Romans and it's thick and we're taking our time, we're reading it and we get to Romans 5 and Paul starts to say some of that stuff. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 5. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's how we become justified before God, we're saved by faith. Just as so, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean for us? Here's what it means. Through him, we also have obtained access. Access to what and access to whom? Access to God, eternal life with him forever. We've gained that access through Christ by faith and to this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know what it means to rejoice? To have so much joy that you're letting it come out of your life. Rejoice. So what Paul is saying is like, hey church, listen, can we just remind ourselves through Christ by faith we have been justified and like this grace has washed over us and given us access to God, access to heaven, eternal life with him. And listen, anytime you think about that saint, you should rejoice. Like when we gather together on Sunday mornings, there should be rejoicing, like already there before you even know what the songs are, right? You just, you just can't wait for a song to come up on the screen that, 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 that kind of indicates this idea of rejoicing because why? You wanna rejoice, you wanna tell somebody what God has done. That all sounds pretty normal and kind of Sunday school, right? But then look at what Paul says. But not only that, verse three, We rejoice in our, what? Sufferings. He went there. You and James been talking? Rejoicing in sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Okay. And endurance produces character. Okay. But look at what character produces. Hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us, who has been given to us. Hope is how you as a Christ follower walk through suffering, and guess what suffering produces? More hope. You don't need hope without suffering. If you're not gonna face hardship, like that's what hope is. 
It's the thing to get you through hard stuff. Without hard stuff, we don't need hope. Like we go to the book of Thessalonians and Paul is talking about how Christians should grieve the loss of another Christian who has passed away. First thing he said is this, think of them as gone to sleep. Why? Because you're gonna see them again one day. They're gonna be resurrected. You're gonna get to see them again. So think about those who are in Christ who have passed away as those who have fallen asleep. That's how you need to think about it. But then what does he say? He didn't say, okay, so therefore don't grieve. Suck it up. Quit being sad. You get to see them again someday. They're in a better place. That's not what he says. He said, I don't want you to grieve like those who don't have hope. I want you to grieve with hope. Like hope is the thing that gets you through. Like hope is what you hold on to as you're walking through suffering. Suffering produces endurance, endurance character. And whenever you're able to see more of the character of Christ in your life, it ignites what? More hope. So we see this invitation to Peter and John like, man, you guys got a rough journey ahead. That sounds rough. And Jesus says to you, yeah, you have a rough journey ahead too. Well, do I have to do the same thing that Peter did? And Jesus would say to you, hey, that's between me and Peter. Your journey is between you and I. But listen, here's the deal. Jesus doesn't send you out into the world and say, I'll see you on the other side. What does he say? Follow me. You see the difference? Peter, follow me. He didn't say, Peter, good luck with all that. Go get him. Don't forget the words that I told you about. You know, everything, like, go get him. He's like, Peter, this is what it means to walk with me. Follow me. Live with me. To be one of my, this is what it means. You're not gonna face this stuff alone. There'll be moments you feel like you're alone. There'll be moments where the grief is so heavy and the pain is so hard that you don't even think that I'm with you. But Peter, I am with you. Always, even to when? The end of the age. Peter, you're gonna face some hard stuff. Follow me. Well, does my hard stuff look like his hard stuff? That's between him and I. Follow me. I was thinking about this kind of trust because this is a pretty heavy version of trust, isn't it? It's not just I'm gonna trust you with my life and what happens after I die, but like I'm trusting you with the dash in between birth and death. That if I go through hard stuff, Jesus, you're gonna get me through it, you're gonna be with me, and that it's gonna turn out for my good and at the end I'm gonna have more hope. That's a pretty heavy version of trust, isn't it? And for me, one of the things this week that I was thinking about that really helped me feel the weight of that, um, I started thinking, first of all, about what it means to trust as a parent. So I'm gonna talk to the parents in the room for just a minute. If you aren't a parent, you know a parent, you can probably relate to what I'm about to say. Trusting God with your children is hard. Even if they're straight A students and they look like they have it all together, it's hard, right? Now, there are things that we talk about in our culture today. Used to, it was the helicopter parent. So this is the parent who who hovers around their child like a helicopter trying to keep the child safe, right? Make sure the teachers aren't picking on the kid, friends aren't picking on the kid, right? Nobody's being mean to my kid. My kid essentially has a safe and and healthy and fun and hardship-free life. That's the helicopter parent. A few years ago, I heard this term, uh, the snowplow parent. It's the parent who gets out in front of the child and just tries to blaze a trail of ease and comfort so that poor little Johnny never has to face anything hard. Now, it would be incredibly morbid if you were a parent who enjoyed watching your kids hurt. That's not what I'm talking about. But here's what you know. Your children are going to face hard things. It's inevitable, right? 
It's inevitable. You don't know what those hard things are, but you can kind of say some of the same things Jesus is saying here to Peter, like, hey, son, daughter, life is gonna be hard. You're gonna face some hard stuff. Well, what kind of hard stuff? I don't know what all the hard stuff is. I'm just telling you, life is gonna get hard, really hard. Um, One of my favorite authors and songwriters, a guy by the name of Andrew Peterson, he addresses this not just in a song, but in an entire album he writes for his kids two sons and a daughter, and he's just, each song is about the hardship of life and where they're gonna anchor their hope and how they're gonna make it through and what does it mean to be a Christ follower following Jesus and then maybe getting lost along the way or encountering something you don't think you can, you can make it through. And one of his songs he wrote, um, it's actually one of his sons, it's called You'll Find Your Way, and it's based on this promise from Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16. Uh, Jeremiah six sixteen says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. So this verse is describing life as a journey. You're gonna take a lot of different roads in life and you're gonna get to some hard stuff and the temptation is gonna be what? Give me an easy road. Give me a new way. This way isn't working for me, so I need a new road. And what God is speaking through Jeremiah is in those moments, don't ask for the new road, go back to the ancient paths. Those are the ones that are trustworthy, the ancient roads, the ancient truths, the ancient paths through life. Don't be tempted to go looking for the new trail thinking it's gonna be easier. Stick to the old roads. And so he wrote this song for his son called You'll Find Your Way. And I'm just gonna read a few of the lines here. This is to his son. He says, when I look at you, boy, I can see the road that lies ahead. I can see the love and I can see the sorrow. Bright fields of joy and dark nights awake in a stormy bed. I wanna go with you, but I can't follow. Your first kiss, your first crush, the first time you know you're not enough. The first time there's no one there to hold you. The first time you pack it all up and drive alone across America. Please remember the words that I told you. And I know you'll be scared when you take up that cross. And I know it'll hurt because I know what it costs. And I love you so much and it's so hard to watch, but you're gonna grow up and I already know this, you're gonna get lost. So go back. Go back to the ancient paths. Lash your heart to the ancient mast and hold on, boy, whatever you do, to the hope that's taken hold of you and you'll find your way. Now that's a parent's prayer for his son. A lot of hard stuff up ahead, son. And you're going to get lost. You're going to be alone. You're going to get to a place where you realize you're not enough. Here's what I want, I want you to hear me say. Remember these words. Go back to the ancient paths. Go back to the trustworthy paths. This is a prayer of a dad for his son that essentially he would lash his heart to Jesus and that no matter what he comes, he will face it with Jesus. He even says, like, I can't go with you. I wish I could, but I can't but there is one who can, and that's Jesus. Follow him. Now, 
That lands pretty heavy on me as a parent. Maybe it does for you. But listen, parents, you'll never trust Jesus with the journey he has for your children until you first trust him with yours. Part of our struggle here is that by the means by which we become Christians and members of the church sometimes is absent or void or it's missing the, the weight of the call where Jesus says to you, hey, if any of you come after me, I need you to count the cost. You've gotta be ready to take up your cross. Hard things lie ahead. Here's the hope. I'm going there with you. Like this is the way that God calls disciples to follow him. You go back to the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, verse one, to Abraham. Listen to how he calls Abraham. Verse one, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and kindred and your father's house. Sounds like a journey, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like God's inviting Abram to take a journey? And then what does he say? We're gonna go to the land. What land? Oh, the land that I will show you. You don't get to know that up front, Abraham. All you get to know is you're leaving your father's house, you're leaving behind safety and security, and you're gonna take hold of my hand, and you're gonna follow me to the land that I will show you. Even the apostle Paul, who wrote a large portion of your New Testament, has moments like these with the Lord. And in Acts chapter 20, he's uh, meeting with the elders at the church in Ephesus, and he's getting ready to make his final pilgrimage to Jerusalem, where he will be arrested and eventually put to death. And he's talking with the elders there in Ephesus in Acts 20. Look at what he says, 22. And behold, or, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit won't let me go anywhere else. This is where we're going, to Jerusalem. But look what he says, not knowing what will happen to me there, except what? That the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul has gotten to that moment in his life where he realizes, like, okay, my life is about to be handed over to people who are gonna take me where I don't wanna go. And I don't know exactly what it's gonna look like. All I know is the Holy Spirit said, go to Jerusalem, and that hard stuff awaits me there. That's trust, isn't it? What does it take to walk with this kind of trust? It takes, first of all, a healthy level of humility. You have to get to the place where you recognize what you can't do for yourself that Jesus himself can write a better story for you than you can write for yourself, even if that story includes hard things. You gotta get to the place where you say, you know what, you're a better author than I am. In addition, it takes surrender. It takes getting to that place where you say, you know what, it, and listen, surrender is more than Jesus take the will, right? So Jesus take the will is like, I'm driving through life, things get hard, you know, I need a breather, Jesus take the will. Okay, thank you, I got it now. No, it's like Jesus take the driver's seat I'm gonna get in the back seat as far as I can away from that steering wheel because whenever I'm in driving the car, we go bad places. Jesus, take over my life, surrender. Wherever you lead me, I will go, surrender. And the third thing it takes is faith. 
And we're not talking about pocket faith that you pull out, you know, your, your special verse in times that are hard and you cling to it like, like, you know, superstitiously. Like if I just say this verse over a hundred times, things will get easier. I'm talking about it's the kind of faith. You guys remember the wheelbarrow illustration from a few weeks ago? Um, we did this up front with the kids. Like the guy, yeah. So like the kind of faith where you get in the wheelbarrow that Jesus is pushing across this huge ravine to where you, your life is completely out of your hands and completely into his hands. And it's the kind of faith that says, I trust Jesus. I trust him with my life. Like that's what it means to be a disciple and follow Jesus. Humility, surrender, and faith. Here's where I wanna land today. I don't know how you became a Christian and I don't even know if everybody in the room is a Christian. There's more than likely people here who are not. First of all, let me talk to the Christians. I don't know how you became a Christian. I'm thankful that you became a Christian, but maybe you became a Christian and then learn later on that things also get tough when you're a Christian. And you're like, well, this caught me off guard. Okay, so maybe today is helpful for you. You're like, oh, okay. Just like Peter, things are gonna get hard. I'm following Jesus and I'm trusting him. And so maybe today for you is like, for the first time for you to realize, oh, Jesus invited Peter to follow him. He invited John to follow him. He also invited me to follow him. That's what this is. This is a journey, following Jesus, with Jesus, walking through life. You may be here today and you're, and you're not a Christian. You're like kicking the tires, trying to figure this thing out. And how is my life going to be better if I, if I do this thing called become a Christian? Like, I just wanna be honest with you. Like, it, you need to consider the cost, okay? What you gain, I would argue, is immeasurably more value than anything else you would gain if you don't do it. But it's not gonna be easy. Walking with Jesus is not easy. It leads to suffering, and we rejoice in that suffering because that suffering produces endurance, that endurance produces character, and that character gives us even more hope. That's what, that's what awaits you, okay? But here's the promise from Jesus, I will never leave you, forsake you. I will not do that to you. That's a hard one to believe in a world where almost everybody in the room has been left or abandoned by somebody at some point. And what Jesus is saying is, if you trust me, you'll believe my words. I will not leave you nor forsake you. We'll do this together. Come now, follow me. I'm gonna uh, kind of end here with two questions to think about and then I'm gonna pray for us. I want you to think back if you're willing to, just look back over the course of your life and as you take some inventory on some of the things in your life, what evidence is there that, that you aren't a really good author for your own life? What kind of feedback um, does your life give you um, when you ask the question, like, how good am I at, like, you know, writing my own story? Like, well, just be honest with yourself. What kind of evidence is there to say to you today, hey, you don't need to be in charge of your own journey. You need somebody else driving this thing. You need somebody else writing this story. There is evidence there, I promise you. I promise. Okay, so the second question is this, is are you at the place in your journey where you're truly ready to let go? and take hold of the hand of Jesus wherever he leads you? Are you there? Because the invitation is simple. Come and follow me. I can't make that decision for you. You have to decide if you're gonna follow Jesus or not. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray now. Um, as I'm praying, our prayer partners will be down here at the front. There's a lot going on in the world to be praying about, tragedy all over the place. Just heard a report of a, um, I think it's a high school band from Andrews that just had this horrific 
crash over the weekend headed to a playoff game. I mean, they didn't have any idea they were headed into something hard and, and it happened. You may be aware of other things. There's plenty of other things that we could be praying about and if something's just burdening you today, would you come and just pray with a prayer partner? Maybe you've got something like personal. Maybe you're about to face something hard this next week or a hard conversation. You just need courage and strength um, to face that. Our prayer partners would love to pray with you. Like, you could be so discouraged or broken right now that you don't even know what words to put together to ask for a prayer request. Our prayer partners would love to just put their arms around you, give you a big hug and just pray over you. Okay, so that's what they're here for. Um, our elders will be out in the comments just answer questions about anything that'd be helpful to you. Um, and our worship team's gonna come out and lead us in a very familiar song, Lord, I Need You. Let's pray together. Um, Father, we thank you for this very honest ending to the Gospel of John. Um, it doesn't end like storybooks normally end. <laughs> um, Father, it ends with some really hard words that for Peter and for all the rest of us, following you means facing hard things. So Jesus, today we're, on one hand we're sobered, we're humbled by that reality, but we're also encouraged because it's an invitation to go there with you, to follow you. And so God, I'm praying for every person in this room, anybody who's listening online, that God, right now they would, truly take some inventory of their life and be honest with themselves. That, Father, we could get to the reasonable conclusion <laughs> that we need something that we can't provide for ourselves. Lord Jesus, we need you. So I pray this morning would be a sweet time of surrender. It'd be a sweet time of just humbly recognizing our need. And it would be a time to, for some of us to accept that invitation to leave out of this room today right on your heels following you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.